This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to episode 164 of The Catholic Foodie, a recipe for joy. Welcome, folks, to The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we've got an exciting show for you. We're talking joy. You know, we need joy. Joy is very important in life. It's really, you know, life is a gift. God gave us this gift, and he gave us our families, and, 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 and love and joy is kind of what it's all about, huh? So uh, we're going to talk to someone uh, who knows a thing or two about family meals and the joy that can be found around the table. Her name is uh, Robin Davis. She's the author of a book entitled Recipe for Joy. It's newly published. So uh, we got her on the show today, and we also have some voice feedback. So stay tuned right here at The Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. That's right. We've got a couple things going on today. We've got uh, some voice feedback. We're going to take care of that first. And then we're going to have Robin on the show. Robin and I talked just the other day, and uh, I recorded that uh, interview. And, boy, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. You know, folks, I have been talking about, uh, you know, families eating together, families even cooking together. We've had guests on the show in the past where we, we who, who advocate families actually getting in the kitchen and cooking together, you know. And there's something to this, all right? It's not... Um, it's not like you have to have a you know a chopped family kitchen edition or something. You know we're not talking about that. We're talking about cooking and and dining together because that's kind of how God made us, right? He he put this desire in the very deepest part of who we are for communion. And traditionally, or I should say scripturally, if you look back in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we see time and time and time again examples, real-life, concrete examples of people, human beings, created by God, right, in the image and likeness of God, experiencing this thing called communion around a table. Whether it's uh, the Last Supper in the Eucharist or the early church in the Eucharist, or even going all the way back in the Old Testament with covenant meals, we see that there's something in the depths of who we are that calls us to communion. And one of the primary ways that we experience that communion in life is around the table. This is not something that we just kind of arbitrarily made up. It, it really comes from God. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, a, a very natural observation here, and that, that, that is the fact that we eat three times a day, right? So we, we have to feed ourselves. We have to feed our bodies. We have to feed our souls. We have to feed our relationships, and all these things really do come together around the table, <laughs> which I guess you might uh, get the hint now as to why the, the new radio show is called Around the Table. <laughs> that was on purpose, right? That was on purpose. So, uh, yeah, I was very excited about this book, a Recipe for Joy, because, you know, I mean, the fact is sometimes I do feel like a lone voice crying out the desert. And, you know, that's a, a reference to St. John uh, the Baptist, uh, who, who was crying out, you know, make straight the way of the Lord. And, it, and, you know, but what I'm crying out here, the message I'm crying out is a very simple one. It's about families getting together, whether it's in the kitchen cooking or whether it's around the table, but families getting together and, and eating together because there's an intimacy there and there's really the opportunity to experience communion. And of course, you can't help but think if you're you're eating together around the table at home, you know, it, it's a reflection of us gathering together around the table at Papa's house, right? At 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 the Father's house and God's house, with Jesus there in the person of the priest, confecting or making, uh, consecrating, right, the Eucharist. 
and 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 God the Father feeds us with His very own Son, His body, blood, soul, and divinity, right there on the altar. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, it, it ties in so well. God is like that, though. God is just always He's full of beauty, full of beauty, and and ties all these things together for us. Uh, what a dad, huh? What what a what a papa? What a what a father? That's an amazing, amazing thing. So. We're going to jump in right now to some feedback that I got uh, from a friend just a couple of weeks ago, and I'm excited about it. I want to share that with you, and then we're going to jump into that, uh, that interview with, uh, with Robin. Hi, Jeff. This is Therese in St. Louis. I wanted to give you some voice feedback. It's been a while. Um, my husband is finally done with culinary school, and he's now working as a chef. Um, and at a location that I think you would also find interesting. He works for the fabulous Fox Theater, so people who come to see the shows, if they buy a certain ticket, they also um, get to come to their restaurant or whatever. I actually never even knew that they had food there because I've never purchased tickets in that range. So um, he's been there for a while, and it seems to be going really well. I was a little bit nervous about... Um, you know, what it might be like for him to actually work in a kitchen, but he seems to do a really good job. Um, it's, you know, can be high stress, I guess, you know, from certain respects, um, to have to work so quickly on people's orders, but, um, I think it's exhilarating too, to accomplish, um, especially if, you know, someone sends back compliments on their meal. Uh, so anyway, he's doing great, and I also wanted to tell you that um, I was thinking about you a couple weeks ago because I always see your pictures on Instagram of all your lovely crawfish that you're cooking up all the time. So we decided for our son's first communion to do a crawfish boil, and it turned out great. And we had a delicious meal, and everyone loved it. So uh, thanks for all you do, and God bless. Bye. Wow. Awesome. Well, Trees, thank you so much for uh, for calling in and and leaving that feedback. But congratulations, goodness gracious, you have a I, I have to give you like lots of congratulations here. I mean, first of all, the you know graduating from culinary school and your husband is is now working in a kitchen, right, in a real kitchen, a live kitchen, which I mean scares me to death. <laughs> you know, I was a bartender, uh, uh, never never a professional chef at all. I, my my experience in the hospitality industry. Uh, which includes restaurants, of course, was um, as a bartender and, and a waiter. And, but I did work as a bartender for just a short while at the Sanger Theater in, in New Orleans. And, boy, that was, uh, that was interesting, interesting. I think uh, I was bartending for, like, what, a Melissa Etheridge concert. And, uh, I mean, there were just tons of different concerts that came through, but that was one of them that, that sticks out in my mind. Uh, but, man, you talk about high stress. It is. And, and it's funny because I was talking with a chef the other day, and he was saying the same thing. It's like, you know, you're you're there, you're cooking, it, it, things are going crazy in the kitchen, and you're thinking to yourself, you're like, how in the world am I going to do this? <laughs> but the funny thing is, is that at the end of the, the, the shift or whatever it is, at the end of that meal, you kind of take a step back and you're going, wow, like I, I did it again. <laughs> you know, somehow it all comes together. And that's, I mean, obviously some of that has to be grace, right? But uh, yeah, that, that's just a beautiful thing. So thank you for sharing that, and, and, and congratulations, by the way. And wow, congratulations on the First Communion. Awesome. And the crawfish, are you insane? That is great. I hope y'all took pictures, huh? You got to post them on Facebook or send me copies so I can post them on Instagram 
and uh, on the Catholic Foodie uh, at CatholicFoodie.com. I'd love to do that. If you if you took pics, please do send me a sample. Uh, but man, that is uh, that is great news. Thank you so much for calling in that feedback, um, and it just highlights so much, doesn't it? The fact that that food kind of goes together with everything that we do in life. I mean, when we celebrate things like a first communion, I mean, not only are not only is is, is your your child. Uh, receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, right? I mean, that, that of course, you're eating, you're, you're consuming something there. But beyond that, what do we do to celebrate it? We, we leave, we go to our home or to a restaurant or someplace, something, someplace like that, and we, we eat a meal and we celebrate with people that we love, uh, sometimes extended family, sometimes, you know, friends or relatives, whatever. But we celebrate around the table. That's what we do. Food plays such an important part in that. And uh, boy, I tell you what, that that leads right into this interview that we have today because, you know, one of the things that kind of, you know, I I, I try not to get on a soapbox too often, you know, I I, I try to stay positive, I try to just convey a a fun and a a joyful sort of a message, I think, to folks. I mean, when I talk about food, some people have commented, (laughs) I just get so tickled when I hear this about how much they love to hear me talk about food because it communicates joy. You know, it makes me joyful, first of all, and that joy can be kind of contagious. And I tell you, I, I don't know if that, I don't think I mentioned this the other day or on the last episode, but uh, a few weeks back, uh, there was a story on NPR, uh, the All Things Considered, you know, they've got that show in the afternoons, NPR's All Things Considered. And, and this show, actually, this, this particular um, story that ran on the on, on on All Things Considered, uh, actually suggested that we should get rid of the notion that families are supposed to dine together regularly. Now, needless to say, <laughs> that that um, kind of got under my skin a bit. And uh, matter of fact, I will be uh, dedicating an entire episode soon just to address that one thing, because it really, I think it strikes at something that 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 shouldn't be struck at basically. You know, apparently uh, a large number of families in our country uh, have a very difficult time actually dining together on a regular basis. And I mean, goodness gracious, you, you look how busy we are, right? I mean, that's, that's not um, surprising, I guess. It's not really surprising. But here's the deal. They feel guilty about it. All right. And the way that they, they look at it is that family meals are an ideal, an ideal that they just aren't able to to meet. So the solution that was offered by the commentator on this story was this, simply change the ideal. Shocking, isn't it? I mean, in a, in a time in our country where, you know, if you want to marry your car, let's just change the rules or the, the laws or whatever to, to say that the definition, right? The definition to say that you, you can marry a, your dog or your car or, you know, we have a lot of other th- stuff in the, in the legislation right now and in, 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 uh, the public square, people talking and yelling and screaming about wanting to change the definition of marriage into something different. Well, this NPR thing is just follows suit, right? This NPR story follows suit. They're like, hey, if you can't meet the ideal of family meals, eh, don't worry about it. Let's change the definition. Let's change the ideal. Let's get rid of that. Family meals aren't necessary. You don't have to meet with your family around the table. They're not really beneficial anyway. 
mean, you can do anything with your family. You can watch a movie together, which all that stuff is great. And I'm not boohooing that at all, okay? Because we can do lots of different things to experience, quote unquote, right, quality time with our family. But let's get real for a second, right? God put something into us, and I talked about that at the beginning of the show. He put into us something that that craves, that that longs for communion. And it's a fact. You can look back in Scripture. It is a, an absolute fact that the way we see example after example after example of one of the primary ways that we experience communion with each other and with God is around the table, right? Around the table. So my vote is we don't change the definition of family meals, or we don't uh, change the ideal, right? I think that the things that need to change are the things that make us uh, fail to meet that ideal, right? The problem isn't with God. The problem isn't with tradition in that, in that sense, uh, coming from, you know, the, the human race. <laughs> but, but the problem is with us. We're moving too fast. We're doing too much. And at the end of the day, it's all for nothing, you know, because we, we can't, we're not connecting with our family members. We're not, you know, relationships are, are, are in terrible, uh, a terrible state, and um, we're just too busy. You know, I think that's the problem. But of course, you know, I'm just the humble foodie. I don't. I'm not the. I'm not a. You know, really like a, a theologian or a philosopher or anything like that. So, that's my two cents, folks. My two cents. But here's the deal. I often do not get on a soapbox, but that really got my goat, if you know what I mean. Uh, I really had to, to to say something about that, because you know the fact is, again, one of the primary ways we experience communion is around the table, right? The table of the Eucharist at Mass, but also the family dinner table at home. And from Genesis to Revelation, food plays a huge role in Scripture, and it's not just the food, it's the meals, right? Shared meals. It's the meals, it's the families around the table, it's communion. And I'm very happy that I'm not the only one (laughs) going against the grain here. Uh, The other day I had the pleasure of speaking with Robin Davis, who is the author of A Recipe for Joy, A Stepmom's Story of Finding Faith, Following Love, and Feeding a Family. I love this book, folks. I absolutely love this book. It's a fantastic story, uh, and, and, and I'm so happy that I had a chance to speak with Robin the other day. And, you know, we talked about food and recipes and families and faith and God and communion and the table and cooking and all kind of great stuff. And uh, I'm just so happy I get to share this, uh, this recipe, not this recipe, this review, this interview with you. You know, our world is seriously lacking today in the joy department. Here comes this book, right? Here comes this book, A Recipe for Joy. And you know what the solution is to our busyness, to our failed uh, relationships, uh, the tension that we feel in our lives, the aggravation we feel with other people? You know what the answer is? Joy. Joy. And doing the things that, that bring us joy. I mean, look at, uh, at Pope Francis. I mean, is he not a man of joy or what? It, it's just amazing to me watching him. He is so much at peace. And he's so joyful and so simple. And it's like, uh, what, what can I do to be more like him? Please, somebody, help me. <laughs> well, the good news is that Robin is kind of like this, too. Robin is a person of joy, she, and, her, and her joy is contagious. And uh, when you read her book and you read the story, I mean, it's really amazing. Uh, it comes across. And I, and I think this book is, is for just about anybody, right? Anybody who's experienced any kind of uh, maybe suffering a heartache in life and, and, and looking for answers looking for joy, this, this is definitely the book that you want to read. You know, the back cover of the book says this. This is just a little teaser here before I bring her on. Uh, 
There were three things that food writer Robin Davis promised she would never do. Move back to Ohio, get married, and join an organized religion. (laughs) Never say never, right? Today, Davis lives back home in Ohio, is a wife and stepmother, and is a practicing Catholic. In Recipe for Joy, she serves up her inspiring story of food, family, and faith. You know, she said, uh, there's a quote there on the back of the book, too. She said the thought of, uh, or she thought she had the perfect recipe for life until God mixed up the ingredients and made it even better. I love that. Love it. And she talked about her story a little bit today in our in our interview, in our conversation. So I'm very happy to bring this conversation to you and also encourage you to read the book. It's an inspiring story. Uh, one that can help all of us find joy in the midst of a hectic life that often dishes out suffering and heartache when what we are really hungering for is love. So I think this message is for all of us. Let's welcome Robin. Well, folks, God is so good. I mean, it's just, uh, it, I'm always amazed, constantly amazed at the goodness of God and how God can take something that is challenging for us, I mean, suffering, real suffering in life, and make something not only good, but also beautiful out of it. And, you know, recently I was asked by uh, Loyola Press to review a book, a new book on the Catholic scene, and uh, it's about food. I mean, food definitely plays a role there, which I guess is why they kind of uh, contacted me, and I, I was happy to do it. The The, the title of the book really uh, captured my attention. It's called A Recipe for Joy. And I tell you what, I started reading it, and I thought to myself, not only am I going to review this, but I want to talk to the author. <laughs> so I'm so happy that today I have Robin Davis with me on the phone. Robin, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. It really is. Look, I am just blown away. Uh, I haven't finished the entire book yet, but uh, man, I am just blown away by your story. Well, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. It was... Um, a great story to be able to write, and, and I love your introduction because that's very much how I felt. There was a lot of suffering, and yet it's a reminder that God really does have a plan for everything that's happening in our lives. Now, you know, the, the title really struck me when, when uh, I first got the, the email asking about the review. The, uh, review. Uh, tell us, what, what is it all about, like a recipe for joy? What's, what's the point of the, the title? The point, I'm, I'm a food writer in Columbus, Ohio, and I've been writing food for about 20 years. Um, but this is a different kind of recipe. This is kind of the recipe that God had for my life. Um, I had, as many of us do, my own plan. I had my own direction that I thought I should go. Um, and God had a different plan, a different recipe, and his was better. So the story, in a nutshell, is um, about how I married a widower with three young children, became um, an instant stepmother. Uh, instant mother, really, to them, and the challenges that went along with all of that, but also the beauty and the joy and how I had the language of food to kind of bring us all together. A lot of the ways that our new family got to know each other was through meals and through food, which is really a universal language. Right, and that's uh, that's one of the things that I really lament today, and uh, is the fact that you know, I mean, even twenty years ago or thirty years ago, when I was a kid, Sunday supper was a big deal. I mean, my mm-hmm. entire family 
cousins, aunts, uncles. I mean, everybody would get together at my grandparents' house. My grandfather loved to cook. He's a good little Cajun guy, you know, loved to cook and uh, big, big meals, big to feed tons of people. And, uh, and that was something that was just part of my growing up. We did that all the time. But more and more, I think that we're being stretched. You know, our families are being stretched. Uh, individuals are being stretched. And we're not really coming together around the table the way, the way I think God made us to be, huh? I agree with that 100%. And for me, I did it because I was like you. I grew up, family dinner was something we did every night. Um, no matter what we were doing after school, if we had softball practice or choir practice or cheerleading, we were still expected to be home to have that time around the table. Um, and I, in my own family now, it did it as a way to communicate but it, and, and really to draw my family in. But it really was something that I saw was necessary kind of for all families. It was about the food. It was about feeding my, my husband and my new children. But it was also a time that we could sit and talk um, with no technology at the table, no, you know, nothing to distract us, and just look at each other and smile and laugh um, or share our concerns. I really can't think of another experience in our, in our world today that is like sitting down and, and breaking bread with someone. Uh, really sharing a meal is a way of, of sharing love and of communicating. It's non-threatening. It's... Um, there, there's just nothing bad about it to sit down and eat and kind of fill your bellies and fill your soul. You know, and it, and it reflects so well to our experience of uh, the Eucharist, you know, our experience mm-hmm. of Mass. I mean, in a way, I, the way I have likened it, because, you know, I, I taught teenagers for too long, <laughs> <laughs> for years and years, and, and I did youth ministry and all that. And so I'm used to taking concepts from, you know, our faith and, and trying to present it in a way that, that, that teens would understand. And the way I likened like the Eucharist, I mean, that, that is our family table. That, that, that's God's family table and we're there. And, uh, one of that's one of the reasons why we don't want to skip out too early. You know, you want to be there, you know, and celebrate the entire, entire meal, the entire thing. And he just loves us so much. And what does he do? He loves us. He, He wants to feed us. And I see that parallel between, uh, our experience of church, and in what we experience every day around the table. And I've talked about that for a long time, but I never, it was recently, probably, I don't know, just less than six months ago, someone used a word that I had never thought of in terms of, of those two types of meals, right? Around the, the kitchen table, the family table at home, and the God's family table at, at church. And that word was communion, because I never thought of using that word to describe what happens around the family table at home, but that is exactly right. Isn't that, isn't that true? Um, communion, community, that sense that we're all together and we're all sharing. Uh, we're sharing of that meal. And, you know, it's really no accident that there are so many stories about food in the Bible. That's, it's not an accident. It's something that, that God used, that Jesus used, because it's a universal language. It's something that we all understand. Everybody eats. Um, nobody can feel outside from that. Um, they all understand it. I love the word 
communion when it comes to to the table and to our faith, because that's really exactly exactly what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I refer back to uh, uh, stories in, in Scripture all the time, uh, because I mean, God hardwired this into us. <laughs> it's not, <laughs> and, you know, it's, I feel like um, it, we're in a race today. Everything is so fast, and and. I tell you the truth, you know, I I do this. I've been doing the the Catholic Foodie podcast now and and the, the blog for about five years, and I've had people over the years uh, complain to me because it seems like, um, well, it seems like um, my my expectation is that everybody should cook every day and and get around the table every day, and I mean, I guess I do. I <laughs> I think that the world would be a better place. If we all actually gathered around the table every day and to, you know, uh, 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 to be together, to, to do that, you know. But the fact is, the reality is, is that life really does pull us in different directions today. And it's very, very difficult. Would you have any kind of words of wisdom for, for a family who uh, maybe sees the value, absolutely sees the value of coming together, but, but the reality is just not easy to make happen? I think my words on that would be to plan a little bit. You know, we plan to go to church. We plan um, the Mass that we'll go to, and we all make that arrangement one day a week. It's not that much more difficult to do the same thing with a family meal, and it doesn't have to be anything that's complicated. Um, Anytime you can sit your family down together, um, even if it's something as simple as grilled cheese and tomato soup or, um, you know, tacos, it's still the idea that you're sharing that all together. And with a little bit of planning, you can really make that happen. You take the time that you had on Sunday, maybe you're going to the grocery store that day, plan out a week of meals, plan out the time that you can all be together. Um, Sometimes when my family couldn't all sit down, all five of us, uh, we would work it out that maybe Ken would eat with the girls and I would eat with Ben because that's, you know, they needed rides here or there. But we made sure that even if the table was for two or for three, it was never, it was never for one. We never wanted um, the kids just to grab something out of the refrigerator or grab a bowl of cereal. I know that's, that's a reality and that happens sometimes, but even if you can sit down um, with the child or with your spouse during that time and talk with them, it can turn even that bowl of cereal or that cup of yogurt into a meal and a time to share a little bit. That's right. You know, I, I was uh, talking about that yesterday, that even the pagans understood this years ago. <laughs> you know, Epicurus, a, a Greek uh, philosopher, uh, once said that, um, you know, when, when you're ready to, to get something to eat, the first thing you should do is to look for someone to eat with before you look for something to eat. I completely agree with that. I, I do. It's, you know, it's just, there's such a, a sharing uh, when you do that, to, to just sit down and, um, and share that time with another person. We're, just, we're not meant to be solo creatures. That's right. That's right. Let me ask you this, because, uh, I mean, you, you have professional training, right, as a, mm-hmm. as a, as a chef, mm-hmm. and you've been a food writer for so long. Um, did, what, what do you say, I mean, I guess, how do I ask this question? How do you see the role of the cook in the family? Is that, it, can, it, can it be almost like a, uh, 
a ministry of sorts or, or maybe one of the, the spiritual gifts of, of the Holy Spirit? I absolutely think it is. Um, and it, it's something that you can share and you can kind of train your family to go out and do uh, with whatever communities they end up living in. Um, I don't think that when I started making family dinners for my family, I looked at it that way. Uh, I looked at it as something that I was comfortable with in a situation that I wasn't always comfortable being a parent um, and and being a wife weren't things that I was always comfortable or thought I was good at, but I was always good at cooking. So I would go into the kitchen and I would cook almost out of selfish reasons, but then I realized the way it was feeding the family uh, was something that was really beyond me, beyond the food. So I do think it's a ministry. I think it's it's absolutely a gift. And like I said, it's one that you can then train your family to go on and do as well. My uh, my kids are all in college now, and two of them are in dorms, so they're not doing much cooking. But um, our son is uh, lived in an apartment this year, and we really encouraged him, and he really set it up so that he eats with his roommates at least two or three times a week. They'll sit down together, make a meal um they shop together. They take that opportunity to work together, and it just teaches you so much. And I'm hoping that the girls will be able to do that as well. Um, again, in in the middle of a of a life that's very very busy, you know, the the frantic college life where everything is grab and go, they do take the time to kind of sit down and cook uh, and enjoy each other's company away from studies, away from maybe anything else that that might be pulling them. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that's great to see, you know, young people, because that's, I mean, we're, again, I think that's a, a, a group that uh, is, is way busier than they, they should be, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, uh, I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, when you, get, when you sit down at dinner, and I know this is, this is for us. I mean, we don't have television going on in our house and I know when I grew when I was growing up, we did. We had the TV was on all the time, uh, and, and you know. But sometimes I've had families who've asked me, you know, what do you, you know, they want to get around the table, they see the importance of it, but what do you do? <laughs> I mean, you know, what do you talk about? Do you? Because I mean, sometimes people have in families they have kind of a communication breakdown, or they got issues, and, and so are there any tips that you might have as to how families could not only maybe start to to eat together more often, but what they could do around the table to kind of, I don't know, jumpstart conversation or, or something like that? Well, that, that's funny um, because I, I think that's absolutely true. We, we get used to talking to each other via text, you know, um, in, in a couple of lines and a few characters to actually have a conversation. It feels like it's becoming a lost art. There was um, a game that we played, and I write about this in, in Recipe for Joy, and it's called High-Low. And it's, it's as basic as basic could be, but we would go around the table and everybody w- would say what their high point of the day was and what their low point of the day was. And you could have more more than one thing, um, but it gave everyone at the table insight into maybe what that person was feeling. Maybe, um, you know, maybe Ben would say, you know, my high point was I got an A on this test and my low point was so-and-so was, was really mean today. And then we could kind of see, oh, you know, he's, he's happy about his studying, 
but he's struggling maybe with this this relationship. And we also got to share, not as parents, but as people. You know, we could, I could say uh, I had this this challenge at work, I had this problem at work, um, but I had this really great comment from a reader, and and the kids could then look into our lives not just as parents, but as people. Um, I think that's a great game. It's one that my nephews, uh, my sister's children who join us um, a lot like to play too. They like to play so much that sometimes they want to play it not even around the dinner table. <laughs> they just kind of want to tell you uh, what's going on in their lives. And it's just it's a great icebreaker. You know, there are games now you can buy when you have dinner parties that are icebreaker games, little questions on um on cards, and I think that's kind of funny, but it's it's not unlike that with the family. You know, start with the basic things, preferably questions that are not open ended, that just get the yes or no answer. Uh, and I I think that making it a non threatening environment too, making it something that's um, comfortable and a place to share where you can say anything and it's going to be okay. Um, I think that all of those things are really important. That's uh, that, I I found that to be the case at least in my house. Uh, you know, I want to ask you a couple of questions real quick before, about the uh, the book itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a recipe for joy, a stepmom story of finding faith, following love, and feeding a family. And I love how you have this set up. I mean, the the chapters are broken down into like the 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 parts of a meal, right? The the toast, the appetizer, the soup, the salad, the bread, the main course, the dessert. Just, I love that. That's very, very cool. Uh, now, well, in addition- we wanted it to be a, a celebratory meal because, as we said, there is there is some suffering in in the book, um, but there's also a lot of celebration. So I definitely wanted it to have that feeling. And that, you know, it, that's been like a theme in my life recently. Um, and I think I've thought about it even more since the election of Pope Francis because he seems to be just a, a person of joy and, and a person who. Um, who understands that even in the midst of suffering, life is a gift, and, and life is, we're supposed to celebrate life. And isn't that true? Don't you have that feeling every time, every time I see him and he's smiling or, you know, he's, he's touching someone, I just have the feeling that he is this very joyful person and, and simple, too. Simple. I think sometimes we make things a lot more complicated than they need to be, oh, and yeah. it seems that with him... <laughs> It's simple and joyful, and boy, is that great. <laughs> that is awesome. It really is. And, uh, you know, in the book, uh, you have this wonderful story, and I just I absolutely love that. But you also have some recipes, right? Mm-hmm. I do. Um, and, and they're recipes. They're, they're more than what we would do certainly on an on an average night. I um in no way think everyone should have, you know, an, a seven course meal for dinner every night. But they were things that um I would make on special occasions. There's um there's a cocktail uh that's called uh, it's a pomegranate cocktail, but I would also make it in a non alcoholic uh form for things like uh, Valentine's Day, I would make a candlelight breakfast for the whole family, and we would make it instead of with champagne with, um, you know, sparkling apple cider, a non-alcoholic cider, and I would set out the fine china, you know, for for pancakes or muffins uh, just for that day, and then. Uh, some of the other recipes are, are variations on, on things that we did eat quite a bit, like the baked goat cheese salad. Mm, uh, I might wow. not bake goat cheese every night, but doing a version of that salad, you know, that's, that's showing up on my dinner table two or three nights a week because it's really something that my family enjoys. Oh, I love it. 
<laughs> You've got the t- a tomato and roasted garlic soup. Oh. And, and that's just a little bit, you know, fancier than what we, we might do. Um, but it's the kind of soup that, um, that you can make on a weekend, and then you can enjoy it uh, during the week. Maybe we would have it on, you know, I would make it on Sunday, and we would have it, and I could pack it in lunches, uh, the kids' lunches, or in, in Ken and, and my lunch uh, that, that we could then enjoy. And it just, it's, it's a really delicious soup. Um, roasting the garlic, of course, brings out all the sweetness. I've had a few people say, it has three heads of garlic. That's a lot of garlic. But when you roast it, it really just, it mellows it and it makes it, um, instead of pungent, it makes it really sweet. Yeah, sweet. I love that. And, I, you know, I love, when I roast garlic, one of the, my favorite parts, it, my house just smells so good. <gasps> Isn't it amazing? <laughs> I love it. Uh, so what, do you have like a favorite uh, uh, meal that you like to prepare? It's a little like picking a favorite child. Um, <laughs> hard, hard to do. It, it depends so much on, on what the season is, on, on how much time I have, and really even on what my mood is. Uh, right now in spring, um, I'm loving asparagus. You can put asparagus in anything. I love to make quiche this time of oh, year. Wow. Um, and put asparagus in it, or make salmon, make roasted salmon. You know, you just put it in a, a hot oven with a little bit of olive oil mm-hmm. and salt and pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple plants that we we brought in for the winter, um, thyme and rosemary, and I'll chop those up and put them on top when it comes out of the oven. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, my kids don't love salmon, but they do like shrimp. So um, I might do something like that, saute shrimp with some garlic, um, and again, throw in throw in the herbs at the end, and then rice, um, peas. I love fresh peas this time of year, and we are just, just, just starting to get strawberries in, and um, I'm a huge fan of that in, in the May-June season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of strawberries down here, too. Uh, well, you know, the, the, the book, obviously, I mean, the book Recipe for Joy is is about family. But do you have like a, a, a who, who do you think would be, uh, who, who could benefit? I mean, not just, I mean, in my opinion, it's almost anybody, huh? Well, that, I hate to say that it, it applies to anyone, and yet it kind of does. It applies to anyone. I think it, it can help anyone in a blended family situation that might be struggling, um, but it can also be in a traditional family situation where there might be struggles. But I think that there's also a lot of people um, who've had loss, uh, my husband lost his his first wife to uh, breast cancer. Uh, I lost my both of my parents uh, at a relatively young age, and so I think it's about taking those those losses and still finding joy in life. So I think that anyone who's experienced loss or suffering may also find, and I would hope that they would find a sense of hope and joy in this book as well. And anyone who's on a faith journey, Mm -hmm. I didn't think I was on one, and it turned out that that's exactly the road that I was on. Um, Anyone who's trying to find um, meaning and God in their life, I think, would probably benefit from the book as well. That's right. A Recipe for Joy. It's a stepmom story of finding faith, following love, and feeding a family. Robin, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. It's been great talking with you. It's been a pleasure.
Well, again, I want to thank Robin for uh, for taking the time to speak with me about her book and uh, just to share her story. I mean, it's just awesome, huh? Isn't that fantastic? And uh, wow, you can find her uh, at robindavis.com. Uh, you can also find the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com, and there's some links there to the book and to her website and things like that. So catholicfoodie.com, you can find more there. I also want to remind you that there is a new radio show that I'm a part of. It's called Around the Table, and I do that in conjunction with or together with uh, uh, Dave Dawson. David Dawson is the president of um, Catholic Community Radio in both New Orleans and Baton Rouge. And this, the, the, the radio show, Around the Table, airs on Fridays at 3 p.m. and uh, on 690 a.m. in New Orleans and 1380 a.m. in Baton Rouge. Uh, it's also uh, recorded as we do it. It's recorded, and so I upload that as a podcast, Around the Table uh, Radio uh, is the, the name of it if you're looking up looking it up in uh, iTunes. Of course, you can always just go to catholicfoodie.com, and up at the very top in the navigation bar, things like the second or third little item over there, you'll see Around the Table Radio. Just click on that, and all the archive shows are there, and they're available. You can subscribe via iTunes or in whatever uh, RSS feed you use for our podcatcher or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and it's fun. It's it's fun. It's it's uh, trying to encourage folks, encourage families to get back around the table, whether that's cooking at home or even at a restaurant, wherever. Uh, we talk lots of South Louisiana stuff. We got lots of festivals. We were doing Jazz Fest the last couple of weeks. Um, we were doing, let's see, we did the French Quarter Fest not that long ago. We've talked to different restaurants. We've, we've interviewed uh, uh, chefs. Uh, we've got lots of uh, lots of awesome things going on. If you like Louisiana, if you like uh, New Orleans, uh, you're going to love this show. So uh, give it a listen, and let me know what you think. You know, uh, Therese, early in the show, she left voice feedback for me. You can do that, too. All you have to do is call 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. That's the voice feedback line. You can call that number, leave a message. It records it as an MP3 file that I can play right here on the show. Uh, we, you know, we also may be playing stuff soon. Uh, on the radio show. That may be coming up, too. We might be able to, to work something out for that. Uh, so you can do it that way. If you have a an iPhone or a smartphone or some other way to record uh, MP3 files, you can certainly just do that and then email it to me. You can email those files over to me at, uh, at jeff at catholicfoodie.com. Of course, you're, you're more than welcome to go and to uh, post comments over on the, the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com and also the Facebook page. You know, you go to facebook.com slash catholicfoodie and you can do that there. Uh, and boy, what a show, huh? What a show. I'm so glad that you were here. I had a good time. I hope you did too. And uh, until next time, bon appétit.